Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, we have a guest today. I know. I'm very excited. Are you normal excited, or are you extra excited because you have a cold, and I know you don't want to... (laughs) Talk more than you have to. A little of both, but I think that I'm extra excited because it's a really powerful story. It's a powerful story from a really wonderful person that we have grown to really know and just love. Oh, yeah. I really admire this person. the, The many months that we've known her. But before we introduce her, before we start with that story, we want to make our listeners aware of an idea that was brought to us by another one of our listeners, actually someone who's in our Echoes of Recovery program. And her suggestion was that we start to solicit questions from listeners. So like a, a Q&A session, except it wouldn't be live, you know, it wouldn't be interactive. It would be more like our listeners would send us a question that they might have, and then we would address it on a later podcast episode. Now, like most things, we haven't thought this all the way through, and it'll be very, well, I'm it'll be thinking, very shoot from well, I hope head. it's nothing like they're asking for clinical advice, maybe just yes. personal. Please keep in mind, we are not therapists or psychologists. Just from a personal standpoint, yeah, how like, we've dealt with something or yeah. what we've encountered. or Yeah, our experiences our for experiences. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so we're going to give that a try. And when I say we haven't thought it all the way through, I don't know if this will be just one episode where we answer all the questions or if we'll answer a question or two at the beginning of each episode, or we'll just kind of work it in where it fits. No idea. But the first step in the process is to start to solicit the questions. Mm -hmm. So if you have a question for Sherry or I, or both, you can send that to Matt at sober and unashamed.com that's the best way to reach us you could they could send it to your email too but who knows i check oh i know you check they all feed in so it's not that i'm dismissive you're not of emails you're just always on your phone and keyboard so you're answering quicker than i can get organized to to. a fall really it kind of is it's an addiction of its own it is a little bit not healthy but anyway if you'd like to just ask a question about our experience. We you know we try to pick topics that are relevant and timely and things we think people will relate to, but I know there are things that we've never hit on that people want to know our thoughts on or our experiences. It sounds, I mean, I feel ridiculously arrogant pitching this. I feel bad because I don't think we have all the answers, but we can, we can tell you what we did or how it went for us. So, or what we've seen yeah. from our recovery groups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you want to be a part of that, Matt at sober and unashamed.com, email those questions on over. Hannah, welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us today. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sherry. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a conversation that I think is really going to hit home with a lot of our listeners. You have had you know, there, there's a line from the movie Hoosiers, which is, you know, one of my all time. I grew up in Southern Indiana. I'm a big college basketball fan. So, but there's a line from the movie Hoosiers where the new coach comes to town and, and he has a rough go of it for a long period of time. And 
one of the kind of towny old timers says, you know, the sun don't shine on the same dog's ass every day, but you ain't seen a ray of light since you got here. And I think of that line when I think of your story, Hannah, you, you've been through some really tough stuff, some really traumatic, difficult, you know, b- b- beyond the ordinary, certainly beyond what anyone should have to tolerate. And so I just want to set the expectation right off the top that this is going to be a difficult conversation. Certainly, I think challenging for you, um, but but also challenging for our listeners. But there's so much wisdom and so much you know lived knowledge in this that I, I think it's a really important conversation and an important story. So we're just so honored that you trust us enough to be here and talk about this. Let's let's just start at the beginning. Let's go real sequential with this. Um, talk about your early relationship with your husband, Hannah, if you would, was alcohol involved right from the beginning when you first started dating? Maybe talk a little bit about your, your drinking patterns. Is that a good place to start? Sure. We could start there for sure. I, uh, I met my husband in high school. Um, and I actually, I always think back to the very first time I saw him. Um, sitting on the, I was sitting on the back of the bus and he was running behind the bus as he had long curly hair, just like streaming behind him as he's grinning and waving his arms above his head, just, (laughs) um, and I was just, wow, (laughs) right from the start, he, he was just so there, just there um he was friends with my sister you know so my sister and her friend pushed him and convinced him to to ask me out um it didn't last long you know he didn't really want to be there it was you know peer pressure you know um and I totally get it you know and then we lost contact and stuff we ended up running into each other five years later in a weird set of circumstances um and I felt like it was fate you know I still you know that moment I saw him again my heart just raced and uh we were kind of inseparable at that that moment um I was living with somebody else just for a short time, like 10 days at that point. Um, But he used to pay a friend to come and pick me up in the evenings and we'd go out to the bar, you know, every night. And yeah, it was just a, a few days and I left that other guy and I left all my stuff, you know, spent eight months kind of couch surfing until we, got an apartment together um where yeah we drank and at that point if I'm being perfectly honest I had never done drugs before but I kind of started dabbling a little bit into ecstasy um you know but I had a bad experience and I dropped that fairly fairly quickly um you know and then we had our first daughter. Um, at that point, I started to 
not drink so much. I didn't like being drunk anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't handle the, the feeling of being out of control. Um, but yeah, he still wanted to kind of continue that. And that sort of continued through the, the birth of all of our children. And um, it became a real pushing point, I guess, in the past 10 years uh, where I really started to, to fight against it um, and needing a break from it and kind of needing him, you know, more of, more of him around. Um, that's such a, that's such a common experience where the, the male in the relationship, you know, keeps the party going and the female matures for a variety of reasons. One, you just mature as you get older, but also certainly with the birth of children, that's, a, that's so often a tipping point um, where the mom wants to be a mom and wants to mature. And, and that was certainly the case in our relationship. I mean, I kept, I kept the drinking going um, and uh, didn't, you know, see the kids as any kind of hindrance on what we were doing. I mean, we would, ju I just felt like I would drink at home as opposed to going out. Not that we went out a lot anyway, at, by the time we were having kids, but, but uh, certainly can, can relate to that part of the story. Did, did he, did he feel any, I mean, it's, it's one thing to think about it and another thing to do it. So did he feel any need to, okay, I'm a father now, I should cut back or was the whole, was the concept of that just kind of foreign to him? Um, we would go through these, you know, where he became sort of aware, you know, it was about every six months or so that I would get the, you know, oh my goodness, you know, alcohol is destroying my life. It's destroying my body. And um, I need to, to quit, you know, I need to quit drinking. And it was about every six months for, I'd say about five years. And I remember always being so excited every time I heard it, just, this is, this is it. This is, you know, until, you know, you started to get angry <laughs> every time you heard it, you know, you started, so it you know, went from hopeful to, I know this isn't really going to kick in. So now it's just frustrating to hear hear him go through that cycle well yeah and it it's because it I feel like it hurt it hurt me so much every time um when it just didn't take you know uh there was so much disappointment um and I hated being disappointed in him um so I just had to kind of build a wall every time I kind of started to hear that speech I would kind of have to to build a wall to protect myself um from it you know um yeah boy I'm guessing that's something you can really relate to Sherry yeah yeah it um I guess um I just was really quick to like when you would say that in my mind I'd be like yeah whatever you know that's I don't know if Were it was you so much at the beginning when I a couple first... of times I was hopeful. Um, and then when I would see that it would just go back into your normal drinking patterns, it's like, you didn't even miss a beat. Um, I think I became, you know, disappointed and judgy 
And that's when I started to like lose respect for you. Cause you would always say that you are not a liar. You don't lie about things. And I was like, well, then why are you lying about this? And then there would be that argument, um, you know, that you can't follow through. And that was, you know, obviously before I learned that alcohol was, had this kind of grasp on you and this, it was a disease. Like, so for me, and it sounds like for Hannah and a lot of other people we speak to, like you can just stop the drinking. Like you don't have to have it. There isn't anything calling you to it. So I just became very judgmental and very just lost respect. Well, and the, the interesting thing about you looking at that as a lie, which I totally get in, in hindsight, it, it was, it, it did come across that way, but I never thought of it that way. And I still have trouble calling that a lie because it was, a. I mean, I can't tell you how locked in I would get to okay, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to drink anymore. This isn't good for me. It isn't good for my family. And then when I would decide to drink again, my mind would be completely have done a 180. I, I have figured out how I'm going to control it and it's going to be better this time. And so it wasn't to me a lie. It was a change of strategy, mm -hmm. which I can see where that would come across as a lie for you. When in your relationship, Hannah, when your husband would go through these cycles of I'm going to quit and then he would start again, did, did he try to do things different when he would start again? Or was it just kind of right back to the partying from before? Um, sometimes there was a plan, you know, there was, it often started by sneaking back in more than, more than anything. It would be, you know, beer cans kind of found, around here or there. Oh, I just decided to pick up a tall can because it was a, a tough day. Um, so I don't know if there was so much a plan, like, you know, the odd time for sure, but it was more of just a, a sneak back in. Well, you, the way you describe it too, it sounds like in his head, he would find a way to justify it too. I had a rough day. I'm not going to start drinking again. I'm just going to get one beer for the, you know, to, to soothe the, the stress of this, this day. It isn't a change of everything. And then you do that and then you do that twice a week and then you do that five times. And then pretty soon you're just back to drinking. And so my guess is that he, he would feel similarly in that I never really was lying. I meant everything I said, I just couldn't follow through and it didn't work out and the plan changed. That's rough to go through though. Well, exactly. And I'm sure that he held the disappointment in himself as well. Right. Which is why I always felt bad feeling that way because I know probably just what he was putting himself through with when he kind of gave up, we'll say, you know? Yeah. To, to what degree was alcohol the problem? You mentioned ecstasy, you mentioned drugs earlier. Was there other stuff going on or was alcohol the primary driving factor? I think alcohol was the primary driving factor. Um, you know, because for us, yeah, at the very beginning of our relationship, there was uh, some ecstasy use. And I mean, he had had problems with the chemical drugs in between our, our that five years absence. Um, you know, sure. but, uh you know, I would definitely say that alcohol was the, the driving force. 
So when he goes through these cycles and he starts drinking again, you go from at the beginning, you were excited at the thought of him stopping to it's just disappointing and frustrating. Uh, keep, keep the progress going for us. This is, it's got to come to a head eventually, right? Um, well, he, on one of his attempts a few years ago had gone to the doctors to, or had been wanting to go to the doctors to ask about a prescription that would help with quitting drinking. Uh, so just before he had the doctor's appointment, I had an appointment with one of our children for their annual checkup. And there was a, a doctor filling in for him. I can't think of the word. <laughs> substitute doctor? I don't know. Yeah, substitute covering, doctor. I think they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, she was there filling in. So I figured, oh, while I'm here, I'm just going to ask a couple questions because I was concerned about this prescription because um, I just don't understand how, you know, if it's supposed to block the feelings, you know, block those good feelings that the, the person's looking for, you know, do we have the concerns about, you know, alcohol poisoning because they're going to drink more and more and more trying to hit that feeling? Um, are they going to, you know, get in a car thinking that they're perfectly capable of driving? Uh, so I asked these couple questions and she started to ask me about his, his alcohol use. So I answered the questions just thinking we were having a, a conversation and she ended up going and reporting him to uh, the driver's safety board and mm -hmm he had his license taken away, which I didn't even realize at the time <laughs> that that's what had done it. You know, uh, I remember feeling so awful when he found out that that's what it was. We spent so long trying to figure out uh, what doctor could have made this, you know, how this had happened. And, uh, after that, he was so angry with me. Um, I became somebody he couldn't trust anymore. You know. Um, you know, a, a couple of things I want to say about that, Hannah. First, I, I those are really good questions you were asking. I had never even thought about I the idea about the alcohol poisoning. Well, I hadn't thought about the other one. I hadn't thought about if you're not getting the feeling, are you going to drive impaired? you know, is that more likely to happen? So super intelligent questions to be asking. I do want to just make mention that because I, you know, a lot of our listeners in the United States will be appalled by what you just shared because of doctor patient confidentiality, um, because that's not something that would happen in the United States. But it is very, very common. I mean, I've heard, can't tell you how many stories I've heard about that in the United Kingdom, across different parts of Europe. So there are lots of civilized Western countries where your communication with the doctor is not completely protected and can impact things like your driving status. So I, I'm just imagining there are lots of people hearing this story going, what? This doctor, is that unethical? No, that's the standard practice in a lot of countries. Um, yes, that's so, the standard here if you're going to uh, 
if it's going to cause harm to yourself or to somebody else that that doctors and stuff are are required to make reports yeah very interesting so so once you got to the so did you like figure it out right down to the that one conversation that you had with the substitute doctor we did um because he had been able to talk to the driver's safety and he kind of harassed them to a degree that they ended up telling him where the report came from. And then he mm. went to our family doctor and said, you know, what are you doing making this report? And he, the family doctor looked back on his file and said, Oh, that, that was actually this other doctor. Um, wow. Wow. So that, caused a rift in the relationship, I imagine, because uh, rather than being thankful for the help and the progress that could be made toward his sobriety and, and, you know, getting healthy and saving things, I'm sure that was just uh, anger. I mean, that, that, that's what would have happened with me, right? I would have been livid that the secret was out a little bit Mm -hmm. and also livid that I couldn't drive. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, yeah. A lot of, a lot of anger. Um, I was told that, you know, I had created this problem that I had to, to fix it. I mean, I worked even tracking down this doctor who had ended up moving to BC in the time, in the time, you know, so um, yeah, tracking her down and trying to see if she could get things reversed. And um, it was a awful experience. And then I was you know, I was at that point now driving him back and forth to work as, as needed and stuff. Um, and if I wasn't there when he needed me to be there, it was just more anger. That was definitely the, the tipping point for us. I think it's really interesting and worth noting in tons of alcoholic relationships and ours included. So we often, the drinkers find a way to blame our spouses for all or part of the situation. I know I certainly did that with you, Sherry, but, but what's striking about this part of the story is I never had anything really tangible, right? I could point to the fact that your father was an alcoholic. And so you thought all drinking was bad drinking and you're the one with the drinking problem, Sherry, not me. I drink like a normal person. I'm a, I'm a guy who has a stressful job and I drink after work, big deal. So it was really easy for me to look at it from that lens, but I never had anything specific that, that, you know, I could concretely say, this is your fault because of the laws where you work, Hannah, your husband did, he could say, look, this is a pain in the ass. You got to drive me to work. I can't drive. I can't drive myself anymore. And this is your fault. And, and listen, I'm not putting any blame on you. Uh, I, I think the questions you asked the doctor are both legitimate and important. And I'm, I'm, I, think, I think it's good that you asked them. But I can see where in the alcoholic brain, that would be like, you know, there's no arguing about whose fault there is. There's no arguing about whether I drink too much or not. You did this to me. And I'm sure you heard words like that. And uh, when we talk a lot about gaslighting, that must have really penetrated. That must have really hurt because there was something tangible there. Yeah. And I mean, I still hold the blame for that, you know, because I do understand where he's 
coming from. And I mean, I did, you know, try to throw it back at him saying, well, I wouldn't even have to have asked the doctor these questions if it wasn't for the drinking, you know? Um, but I don't know. Yeah. At this point it's, it is what it is. You I, know? Mean, I definitely don't want to get into an ethical debate about the laws in this country versus that country, because I understand why, um, you know, that in, like we said, in the United Kingdom and in other countries, it is the way it is. It's to protect people, but it puts you in a situation where if you're going to have any communication with your spouse's doctor, you're either going to lie or you're going to lie by omission because why on earth would you tell the truth? It's going to cause all this harm to, to my family if I do. And wow, that's a, that's a tough situation to be in. Well, I think seeing as you didn't even realize that it was happening at the time, like she wasn't even taking notes or anything like that. She, sure, you know, so I just, I, I thought it was just a regular conversation. I wouldn't have even gleaned to, to any sort of kickback at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've got to fix this. This is your problem. I can now point to something specific that's caused a problem in our life to all that anger, all that frustration coming your way. Where did the story go from there? Uh, from there, he actually ended up hurting himself at where he got hurt. Uh, the scaffold he was on collapsed and he ended up breaking his ankle and foot. So he, oh, man. he was off work um, for four months or so. He was at home, um, angry <laughs> all the time. Um, you know, I tried as hard as I could. I had a toddler at the time, um, and two, two older children. Um, you know, so I had baby gates everywhere to kind of keep the toddler around and safe. And, you know, he would get so mad, just if I did, wasn't up and off the couch fast enough to, to be able to move the, the baby gate for him or whatever, if he wanted to go outside for a smoke. And um, at that point before that, I had set a boundary that I wasn't going to buy alcohol for him anymore. I wasn't going to swing by the, gro the, the liquor store just because I happened to be near it. And I had to to give that boundary up at that point and, and because he couldn't drive and, and I hated that, you know, to just be adding to, to the problem that I was trying to get rid of. Um, so while he's home on run recovery is, is the drinking pretty constant? Yeah, it was, you know, he, he is always, you know, this is the part that got me into trouble with the doctor because he's an all day drinker, you know, mm -hmm. like, so, and that just continued. So, I mean, everything was normal in terms of, of drinking, um, when he yeah. was at home at that point. Yeah. Well, that, that is a, at least a partial explanation for the constant anger too. I mean, alcohol has different impacts on different people. And on a lot of us, it has a different impact at a different time. 
But if, if you're drinking consistently, the likelihood of constant anger is pretty darn high. So I, I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear that part. So does he eventually get back on his feet and, and get back uh, the ability to go back to work? I, uh, yeah, you know, in, in that, that September, he started back at work. He started working out of town. Um, and that was just another weird sort of, he started accusing me of, you know, if I took too long at the grocery store that, you know, I was giving some guy a blowjob in the car and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you've been home with me for the past four months. Like you see what I do day in and day out. Like <laughs> it kind of got crazy. And um, yeah, when he was looking for work and he said, I've been offered this opportunity out of town. And I said, well, maybe you should take it. You know, we've been, you know, kind of in each other's faces for, for so long and we could probably use the break. And that was the, the wrong thing to, to say. Um, and that just made him angrier. And, you know, he went out of town and he, uh, it was, it was the wrong thing to say, Hannah, because he was afraid you know, or because you, you didn't want him around. So, um, he was afraid you were going to cheat on him, that kind of a thing. I'm not even sure. I don't know if it just made him was, angry. Yeah. Why it was, it just, it hit some nerve that, mm -hmm. that I needed space, you know? Um, so yeah, that was a tough time. Him being out of town. There was a couple times I hung out with a friend of his who was over all the time. He was, you know, constantly over. And when my husband was out of town, you know, if I was took the kids to a couple places, uh, to a airplane museum and then to uh, a dinosaur theme park, and you know, so I invited this friend along. Why don't you? To come with us and that ended up ruining their friendship you know? and, um even though there was no harm no anything you know I spent countless hours with this person you know um but it, it was it was it, fine when your husband was around but when your husband wasn't around then jealousy or question marks entered his head yeah you know yeah. Um, yeah i do i'm a naturally jealous person so i'm not in any way condoning what you experienced but i can i can put myself in the place where i, I can see um i can see the 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 insecurity that's all insecurity that's all insecurity on his part um and so Oh, I can't imagine how hard that is. You just you, you invite a friend of the family along and it ruins the relationship. And that's more things for him to blame on you, I suppose. Well, and I think I just, it was so confusing <laughs> because he was so angry with me and everything I did all the time, you know, but then yes, to have this, but then be jealous at the same time is just, I don't know. It was a really confusing situation I didn't know what was happening <laughs> you must have felt like every decision that you made every 
word that came out of your mouth. I mean, we talk about walking on eggshells, but you must have been, you just didn't know what was going to set him off or, um, you know, it must've been hard to make even the most basic of decisions at this point. It was. And that was a big, big thing for me. I, <laughs> I, I remember calling my mom one day cause I was sitting in the parking lot and I needed to pick up a light thing. And I called my mom and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, there's this kind and this kind. And what if I pick up the wrong one? And my mom was just like, oh my God, like <laughs> you are so lost right now because yeah, it was damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> the mm -hmm. entire way through, it wouldn't matter what I said I could, or what I didn't say, I could try and be quiet and stay out of the way. And then I was, you know, being an awful person because I was ignoring and, you know, I don't know. I mean, it sounds to me ha having been there, like he was just so deep in the pain of addiction and wanting to take it out on someone and kind of drag you down into that pain with him. I remember what that feels like. It's not intentional. It's not like I set out and said, Oh, I'm going to go yell at Sherry today. But if I was in that, in the pit is what I always called it in that pit of despair. If, if Sherry said, you know, if she said right, uh, left was the right answer. And I was going to make sure she knew it. And if she said left, I was going to chastise her and tell her why right was the right answer. And do you, I mean, do you remember that Sherry where that level of eggshell walking? I do. And when Hannah was mentioning about the doctor and him blaming her and say, you have to fix this. You did this like immediately your voice went in my head. Just remembering like one time when I reached out to your parents and you're like, you have to fix this. You did this. You fucked this up. You got to fix it. And you were so pissed. Yeah. You know? And so like those voices are still in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so where do we go from here, Hannah? Uh, yeah. So I don't know. So at this point, everything was, was really tough. Um, I was being woken up just about every morning at like two in the morning, uh, being yelled at for not performing my wifely duties. You know, I was sleeping on the couch a lot just to get away because I just, I couldn't deal with all the, the anger and stuff. So at one point I, I, he pushed so hard uh, that I couldn't take it anymore. And I told him that I was, I had to leave. It was the day after Christmas, um, I guess a couple of years ago. And he was so, he stormed into the house and told the kids that, you know, I was this horrible fucking bitch who was tearing apart our family. And that they could thank me for us never being together anymore. And, and then he went out and slept with some random chick. 
he came back the next day and told me that I had until the end of January to figure my shit out and get out. Um, so I rushed, I rushed and I found a place because I was put on specific rules that I had to have find some place that was within walking distance uh, for the kids. I wasn't allowed to borrow money from my parents. He told me um, to be able to afford things. I had to try and make a go of it by myself. Uh, you know, so I started getting things set up. I found a place that was just a few blocks away that was affordable. Um, and then that got turned around on me too, that I was rushing so hard to get out so quickly. And it's like, well, you get like, you tell people that, but you don't tell them you gave me a timeline. Um, you know, but I got, I got scared. I got scared of doing it alone. I got scared of him moving on. He moved on so quick to somebody else so quickly. So I told him I made a mistake that I didn't want to go. Um, so we did, we reconciled um, and we decided to give things a, you know, give things a more of a try. Uh, we planned date nights and they were great. We had, we really both went full course into to everything. And we really threw ourselves into fixing our, our marriage. Um, Hannah, before we get into the reconciliation, I, I want to talk a little bit more about what that, the, the decision to not separate was like for you, because there's so many factors that weigh into these decisions. Um, you know, certainly you're being manipulated. You're being told you got to go, but why are you trying to go so fast? Um, he has cheated on you and you know that, but there's also, there's also practical concerns, right? There's the financial issue. Like, Hey, we've been together for a long time. We've been doing this as a couple, but now I got to do this on my own. Um, that that's got to weigh on you heavily, right? That's a big part of it. And, and what about taking care of the kids? Was that a, was that a concern? Like, Hey, I'm going to be doing this on my own and I've got to work on my own. How am I going to make all this work? Um, no, <laughs> to be honest, that hardly weighed in on me at all. I, I don't know. I figured I could everything works out, <laughs> you know, that I would be able to make it work. And I mean, he could put down all the rules he wants of not being able to, to borrow money from my parents. I know that if I ran into a tough spot that my parents, of course, would help me, me out. Sure. Um, you know, it, there, I guess, was a degree, like I've been primarily a stay-at-home mom uh, the entire time. I took odd jobs here and there where I could bring the children with me. Um, but I don't know. I didn't have any concerns about that. My biggest concern was, was him moving on. <laughs> I was, was, yeah, I don't know. That that's, that's not uncommon at all. Um, 
Being scared to lose them, right? Yeah. Even, even when it's bad, um, you know, there's still love and, you know, we, we hear a lot, people will say that they're afraid, you know, what happens if I leave him and, and then he gets sober and then I've missed out on the best, best part of him. Um, so we hear that a lot too, but I just think it's incredible how, um, raw and honest you are about such an emotional thing. So thank you. Thank you for sharing, um, you know, the, the truth about what that situation was like. I know you guys went full on into rebuilding the relationship, but was there, I mean, you, you were going to go and then you said you, you said you had made a, uh, a mistake and you had changed your mind. Was that used against you? Were you, um, you know, was, was that the manipulation, was that part of the manipulation at some point? Um, yeah, no, it was quite often used against me at different points that I was just willing to always walk away so quickly, you know? Um, and it was always so frustrating because he doesn't realize just how much I was put through, you know, with you know emotional attacks and the the verbal abuse you know I wasn't sleeping I was I was a wreck um and you know I feel like even to a degree that that behavior that he was putting me through I feel like he was pushing me away like this is the way it was supposed to be like you know, because it stems, I think, from that having lost trust and this anger that just kept coming and coming and getting stronger. Um, you know, I feel like he didn't want to be the bad guy. He didn't want to be the the one to end the relationship. He wanted to end up as being the victim, essentially. Even if he caused all the damage and did all the pushing, you were the one that made the ultimate decision. So it, it can still be your fault. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how long did the, both, both of you are trying really hard on the reconciliation. How long did that last and, and kind of where did we go from there? Yeah. Um, COVID hit. <laughs> so it didn't last, like it lasted a few months. Um, and then all the restaurants shut down, everything shut down. He was definitely a COVID conspirator. <laughs> you know, if that's the term that he started falling into this point of, a, during that short phase where um, we were looking at the separation and stuff, um, he, he got Facebook for the very first time. So this was a new thing to him. And he fell into a lot of these sort of backhanded kind of QAnon theories that really added to, to a lot of extra anger um, about things going on in the world around us, um, like COVID and how it was just a scam to, to control our freedoms and stuff like that. Um, just more fuel for the anger, huh? Exactly. You know, when, I mean, I was somebody that 
you know, when COVID first started, I was scared. Who knows? We didn't, nobody knew what it was or, you know, how it was going to affect. And, you know, so I, I did take all the, you know, stay home. <laughs> sure. Everything seriously. And that, you know, he would flaunt his, oh, I went out and I saw this person. And so then we were arguing about, you know, what we're supposed to do. One of our children has, has asthma and, you know, even though she's young, should we be concerned about this? And, you know, but I've always been the, the worrier, right? He's always been the, don't worry, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So just more outside stress yeah. added and, and more contention, more things for him to be angry about. So what we're heading toward a breaking point, right? Like what, what, ha yeah. keep, keep, keep going with us if you would. Yeah. So in, uh, in April of last year, you know, I don't know how to, <laughs> we had an incident where he had gone out, I guess, looking for work. Um, I'd had a counseling appointment. It was my very first counseling appointment with a new counselor because I was so with everything still continuing to go on at home, I needed to, to start seeing somebody. Uh, so I, yeah, I had my first counseling appointment. He had told me that he was going to be home all day and would, would watch our youngest for me so that I could go for this. And when I woke up in the morning, he wasn't there, you know? Uh, so I sat there, I waited a while and then I set up to uh, drop my, my son off with a friend to watch, watch him. And then we, we left. And I guess when we left, he had already gotten home and parked in the, the back and whatever. It's all semantics anyways. Um, we got into an argument about it later that, that day. And at one point he, he charged me on the, the back steps and put his hand around my throat saying he was going to strangle me to death. And then when I started fighting back, because I had gotten knocked onto my back and I put my legs up trying to push him away and I was just shouting for help. And he, you know, what are, what are you doing? Why are you trying to hurt me? And, you know, would sit there and say he was just trying to, he was just trying to give me a hug. You know, he loved me and was just trying to build bridges. And I would... I was going crazy and, you know, and I said, how are you trying to build bridges by, you know, putting your hand around my throat and saying, you're going to strangle me to death. And he said, I never said that, you know, you're crazy. You're hearing things now you're making things up. Hmm. Um, and we just had a long, you know, uh, battle with that. I kind of had to, to shut down at that point. And he, he did this whole, you know, I've got to, I've got to leave. I've got to get out of here because, you know, when the lights go down and it starts to get dark, things can, things can happen in the dark. Um, and I was so scared, but then he didn't leave, you know, he stayed and I, I sat there on the couch all night. So worried about what was going to happen in the dark, you know, so that the next day I, I dropped the oldest two off at school and I, 
I went to, um, I went to his stepmom and said, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. And, you know, so she said, you just started this, uh, this counseling, you know, call this counselor, you know, tell him what happened, tell him that you, you don't know what to do, that you need help. So I called the counselor and he said, we're getting you out of there. So he set up the, the women's shelter. He had the police come and meet me at a parking lot. My mom came and met up with me. Then I went and got the kids out of school. Um, went and got an uh, emergency protection order for him not to be able to come near me and the kids. Um, and we went and we stayed yeah, in the women's shelter for a few days. And then I got really lucky and was checking um, online for for rentals, for places to go. And I ended up finding a place uh, not far and it was cheap. And the I spoke with the, the landlord um, quickly and he, he said, you know, just get you and your kids in here. Don't worry about the rent and the damage deposit right now. You guys just, just get here and be safe. So wow. we, uh, we moved in and um, worked on getting stuff set up. I had uh, in the, the restraining order, I had it, it was set up that I had access to the house for a, a set amount of time so that I could get belongings for me and the kids. Um, I left all the furniture there and just worked on getting new new stuff here. Um, and we went two weeks with, with no contact and it was awful. I just, I spent the entire time just, God, he's gotta be so angry at me. And just worrying about what he was thinking about what I had done. Um, so I went to see him just before we were supposed to have the, uh, the first, uh, with the, the protection order, like whether they only do it for, I think it's like a week or two weeks or something like that. I don't remember. Um, so some kind of legal review, that kind of a thing. Right. And then okay. to give the other person a chance to, to respond and see if it should be made permanent. And, okay. You know, so we, so I went to his dad's place because that's where he was, he was staying. So I went and told him I wanted to, to talk with him. And sorry, I feel kind of foolish now because I apologize. for, I don't know, <laughs> I felt so bad that I ran the way that I did. I felt so bad that I was so scared. You know, I felt bad that I was hurting him and that he hadn't seen the kids in that time. And so we 
came up with a plan to kind of slowly, I would stay here with the kids and he would stay at the old house and we would just slowly, he'd come over here. We kind of started to ignore the, the restraining order. Um, you know, so he kind of came and went and we made plans to do stuff together as a family and, you know, um, Hannah, I think this is, is this such a, a testament to the power of the conditioning that you had been through this, you know, years and years of being told everything is your fault. Even something like this can eventually twist in your own mind to the point where you blame yourself for it. And I mean, it. I have a ton of empathy for you for that. I don't think, nothing I'm hearing makes me think, oh, what a foolish move she made. I mean, this is, it's brainwashing. It's, and I'm not even necessarily blaming him like he set out to do this as an evil plan. He, this is what alcohol does to people. It, it turns us into monsters, manipulative monsters that, uh, you know, we are in pain. So we're going to drag you down into pain with us. I said, vile, awful things to Sherry. I blamed her for things. I made it all her fault. I, I, you know, I didn't do it because I hated her, but I did it because of the pain that I was in. I would try to twist it and, and, and make her feel guilty for it. And so, you know, to a lesser extent, um, uh, some of the, the really traumatic things that you've described, Sherry and I don't have any experience with that, but, but I totally can relate to the emotions, um, and the manipulation and the direction you're going, you, your, your situation is just, just, uh, amped up, just more <laughs> severe than, than what we experience. Is that what you're thinking as you're hearing this, Sherry? Yes. And, and we have, um, known Hannah for a while. And so the years of the verbal abuse, the emotional abuse, um, like the, that feeling of you're damned. If you do, you're damned. If you don't, yeah. um, you just feel helpless. You feel very much questioning about every move you make. And then those, those little threats. Oh, what's going to happen in the dark. Oh yeah. You don't know where that's going to go. Yeah. And that, and then the lack of sleep that you're getting. Yeah. Your nervous system is on high alert. Yeah. So I just feel, but I can see where you can be like, I'm sorry, you know, before you went to that first hearing, I'm sorry, I did this. You know, it's, it's very easy to question everything. And then you're like, probably questioning, did I really imagine you're going to strangle me to death? I mean, you know how he twisted that in that moment when he's on top of you in the back of your, on your back steps, he's then like, you know, twisting it right then. And then you're like questioning, am I really crazy? Yeah. You, you, you don't sound foolish to me at all. You sound like a victim of a horrible situation, a, a traumatic crime. Um, and, and so I, nothing but empathy and grace for you. So, so you started to, um, interact again. Um, and, and then where does it go from there? Yeah. Um, so, and I was just gonna mention to, uh, to Sherry's comment there about the, the questioning myself about whether or not I actually heard that, that 
but I will say like things were got so bad in my house with the manipulation and the gaslighting that I had started to record all of our conversations like with my phone in my pocket because I I had to end up going back quite a few times because I was being told like no you didn't say that or you know when I swear that I had or he'd say that he said something and I didn't think he had you know so I would constantly having to to go back and re kind of verify my reality um you know so I actually have uh the recording of the assault you know that I was able to go back and and verify to myself when he sat there and said no and he still swore you know even that when I went and apologized even that couple you know he still swore I didn't say that and I said yes you did I've got a recording of it and he well I'd really like to hear that you know um so I don't (laughs) yeah it is it's crazy making it's crazy making that's right um that's right yeah so no so we uh yeah things we kind of tried to get things kind of back to to normal to a degree um we took a a family trip at the in August I believe it was and at that point you know me and him were talking and he he said you know I really want to quit drinking and you know but I can't do this without my family here I need my my family at home in order to quit drinking um so I told the kids we were moving back um and the two older ones said they didn't want to that he hadn't done enough that he hadn't done anything to to prove that he was he was ready um, but I, I told them whatever he's, he's your dad. We have to give him this chance. So we moved back into the house. Um, but things were weird, you know, um, I moved everything back myself, like in my car, except for, you know, when I sold a bunch of stuff, I needed his help with a couple of things and it took him forever. He just didn't get around to wanting to do it. And I thought that was so weird that if you were so excited, you know, so I need my family home. Why, why weren't you moving this stuff? (laughs) You know, why wouldn't you, why weren't you doing anything to help? So I spoke with the landlord um, at this place and said, I'm going to hang on to the place for a couple extra months and I'll, you know, continue to, to pay you. But, uh, I just don't know where things are going to go. Sure. You know, so I think it was about three weeks we lasted. Um, We got in, he was quitting drinking during that time, which essentially meant he was hiding his alcohol. He just, he was not hiding it well at all. Um, You know, within a couple of days, he was drunk and he had told me he was going to get gas and then he was gone for for hours and well and and that line about I need my family to quit I mean 
we hear that a lot too. That's just another form of manipulation. You know, um, nothing was more important for my long-term sobriety than when Sherry detached and was not a part of the process and wanted nothing to do with me. That was, you know, it, it was like, uh, taking the bumpers down in the bowling alley. You know, I had to, I had to deal with reality now. Um, and the reality was helpful for my sobriety. But so this idea that my family has to be around me, supporting me, it's just, it's just manipulation. It's just another way to, you know, keep, keep, you know, he can't control his drinking. I couldn't control my drinking. So I got to control the people around me. I've got to keep my thumb on them. So, um, I'm sorry that, that you experienced that, but I'm sure it sounded, I'm sure it made sense. Right. I mean, there's so many things that are counterintuitive about how recovery works. I'm sure. Oh, you need support. Yeah. Let's support him. I'm sure that's what was going through your mind. Right. A hundred percent because I could see how it would be difficult, you know, what being used to even just even being used to a full house, you know, and then all of a sudden there being all this, this quiet and, and space. And, you know, what are you supposed to do with your time? Like if you're, yeah. you're not drinking, right. Uh, so I can understand where he was coming from, you know, I just, I don't know. There was still just so much anger, you know, because then I was still, I was the one who once again left, you know, who, who gave up on us, um, who had no trouble walking away. <laughs> well, you, you did what you had to do to save yourself and save your family. That That's what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm not hearing anyone walking away. I mean, the amount of effort that you put in the relationship is, is just mind boggling mind, just amazing. Um, so, uh, two different perspectives, I suppose. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's amazing what, what you went through for the sake of trying to save the relationship. Um, so. Yeah. So, and he'd never recognize the times that you did come back, that you did want to try the trying again, the trying again, the forgiving and the starting up again, that, that never held in his memory. It was just the, the two times that it was easy for you to get out. And there's nothing you know, easy about this story. That's, that's nothing. what his mindset is. It was easy to get out, but never any recognition that you were willing to be participating and helping him find sobriety time and time again and work it out. I'm so sorry to hear this. So, so you were back in the house for three weeks. He was pretending to be quitting, but really he was secretively drinking. And not well. Not and well. Then, yeah. Cause he would, he'd be, he'd get drunk at night and then he'd scream in my face about how he was drunk. And what did I think I was going to do about it? And, you know, stuff like that. And I was back to, you know, within days I was back to sleeping on the couch and, and bawling just going, what the hell? How did I end up back here in the exact same position? You know? Um, but I kept, like, I honestly kept trying. I went and picked up, you know, supplements that were supposed to, to help and stuff like that. And um, yeah, three weeks in, we got into an argument over a TV show and how I didn't know what TV show was on the TV. And um, we ended up getting mad and yelling at each other. And I, at one point I threw my mug 
down at my feet, um, just to break the, the tension, you know, um, my mug didn't break. That's been a huge contention point because he walks around now telling everybody that I threw a mug at him and it shattered and cut his foot all up. But I have my mug. <laughs> I use it on a daily basis and it drives me crazy hearing the story. But anyway, so yeah, I shouted down for the kids to um, get ready that we were leaving, that I, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, at that point, he chased us down the the walkway of the house and he he grabbed me by the the back of my shirt and he's yanking and he's screaming at me if this is how I want it to end if this is what I'm doing and you know how can I be doing this and then he yanks really hard and knocked me onto the ground and knocked off my glasses and tore my shirt off on the front lawn um you know the kids are standing by the car screaming at him to stop the oldest one is calling 911 so he turns around and he storms back into the house and just swears at us tells us we're never gonna see him again and we can have fun while we're at it. And then he goes into the house and he smashes the TV. We, we run, we get in the car and we run over to the police station and just, I don't know, we ended up the next day getting another protection order. We spent a few days in a hotel well, we got stuff set up um, to move back everything back into the townhouse. And it's been no contact since then. So it's been over a year. Um, well, it's been supposed to be no contact. He's been charged with the assault. He was given two years probation. And for me, this had to be the last time because my kids were there, his kids were there. And, you know, I can't, I can't be putting out that sort of example for my girls that it's okay to be treated this way. And I can't be putting out the example to my son that it's okay to treat women this way. So it's been hard, I still, He's my husband and it sucks, but the kids have to, at this point, come first. My life at this point has to come first. I don't know how much further things would have gone. I'm so sorry for all that you've been through, Hannah. As, as traumatic as it was for the kids to witness, I can't help but but think in a way it's a blessing that they did witness that because I feel like that just from what you just said made it a clear defined break point where it doesn't matter if you days or weeks down the road decided 
that you felt guilty about the start of the, the argument, for instance, maybe you should have known the name of the TV show or those kind of thoughts creep back in. You have that seared in memory of the kids standing there and witnessing that. And that's, what's going to keep you from, from, um, you know, making the move that you've made in the past and, and, and letting the manipulation get to you and, and, and going back, it, you're, you're nodding. I think yeah. it, it, that, I'm not trying yeah, to put words in your mouth, but is that how you feel? No, that's exactly it. You know, is I knew that this time I had to be stronger, you know, this time I, I relied on the law to be able to help me hold boundaries because I'm, I'm weak with him. I know I am. I know that if he were to call me crying and saying, I miss my kids, it's been so long that I would want to fix it. You know, I would want to, to sit there and say, okay, what can I do to make this better? Let's, you know, but I can't, I can't do that this time. I can't put up that example and there has to be consequences for him at some point. Like, I don't know. <sighs> you shared recently that you know the truth, you know, on a conscious level, what happened, you know, the truth about, you know, the way that you're protecting the kids and that they have a better, better chance, a better future this way but that you can still hear his voice in your head. The, the term you used was cognitive dissonance. And I think that's very appropriate, but you can, you can still hear those cutting words. Do you, do you think that's just because of the years of the verbal abuse and they're just ingrained in there? Are those, are those voices getting quieter for you? Um, You know, I've, yeah, recently asked my counselor about this because I'm like, you know, there's some things that, you know, he's only ever said it once or twice, but they're still so strong. Like, you know, one time he told me I was a shitty driver and for now, anytime I'm driving somebody, I apologize for how long it takes me to make a left-hand turn because left-hand turns make me nervous, you know? And that's only one time that that was said. And she said, it's because, because he was the one person that I was supposed to trust, right? He's the one person that I felt was always supposed to be honest with me, that, that those things seem to stick a little bit harder than, you know, if, you know, some guy on the road was like, man, you're a shitty driver. I'd be like, whatever. And I'd be able to shrug that off. Right. But I feel like if he says that there's gotta be some basis behind it, there's gotta be something. I'm not sure why, you know? Um, well, I think, I think it makes sense what your counselor said that the, you know, it's the relationship that's supposed to most embody trust. And so when that turns, um, it leaves a mark. Sherry, I know you've got things that I've said, uh, that stick with you. Um, and you can't get that 
nasty voice out yeah, of your head either. Self-doubt and, you know, you know, it's just those sort of things that are, that kind of stick with you, even if you have done counseling and there's been healing and there's time and, you know, it's, and even if I've said the opposite, yeah, lots like of a times, since times that, it matter. does, yeah, it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I think that we've just become so hard on ourselves and are so questioning of ourselves. And so really like, is this really the truth? Do, is there some truth in it? Even like the shitty driver. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Matt and I drive, we drive very differently, but like, if you were to say that, I can see how I'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, there must be some truth to it. Um, so that's why it's really hard to like, then in the recovery and the work that we're doing is to then fully give up that sort of, then like be trusting again, because then I'm like, am I just going to hear shitty stuff again? Yeah. Yeah. Those voices stick in your head for sure. Well, Hannah, I just can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on and telling this very, very difficult, very painful story. Um, I know that, you know, your, your husband's without getting into the details and the specifics, let's, let me ask this. I know that your husband's behavior has continued to be erratic and dangerous and self-destructive and, um, you know, he's, he's caused himself all kinds of problems that have nothing to do with you. Are you able to separate that? Does, I, I, I know, I know you would never wish bad on him, but are you able to look at the way the behavior patterns have continued, even now that you've been permanent, you know, legally separated for such a long period of time and say, Oh, that's not my fault. Or do you still carry some of that, that burden on yourself? Um, to be honest, there's still some of the guilt that, that carries on with that because, because he has his narrative that gets its way around to me about how he's, you know, none of this would have happened if it wasn't for my initial reactions. Right. So there's still, yeah, no, I still carry a lot of the, the burden for the choices that he makes. And I know that it's, it's foolish. And I don't know, that's where I have such a hard, a hard time, because it's kind of like, you know, intellectually, you know, that <laughs> you had nothing to do with any of this. Um, but then you get that, that feeling in your gut that sits there and says, well, but maybe, you know, and I think I'm still at that point where the gut is still the louder voice, you know, where, you know, somebody can sit there and, and say something to me um, that goes against what he would normally say, you know, like I saw my father-in-law, um, last week and it was just a quick short visit and stuff and he he was so kind as I was leaving and he he told me I'm so I'm so proud of you and I'm so proud of your kids and the job that you're doing is just amazing and you're an amazing mom and that's great 
but I still get that voice. I still get that, that twinge in the solar plexus that says he doesn't really know, you know, he just sees you for spurts here and there, you know, he doesn't know that really you're probably fucking it all up. Sorry. <laughs> you know, well, that that's, that's the result of the trauma that you've been put through and the manipulation and the gaslighting. And I hope you keep working on that because I want to echo your father-in-law. We've known you for a long time now and you are an amazing person, an amazing mother. And the rebound that you've made to bounce back from this abuse, verbal and physical, it's nothing anyone should ever have to go through. And you, you know, I know, I know sometimes it's, it's not easy to hear how strong you are. We hear this from people a lot because they don't want to be in situations where they have to be strong. It's not necessarily a compliment to hear how strong you are because, um, it's just, it's a reminder of what you've been through, but I'm here to tell you, you're incredibly strong. You're incredibly smart. Um, I, I just, your, your kids have a chance at having the, this cycle broken and it's a hundred percent because of you. Um, and your focus on your kids is just tremendous. And Sherry and I are better people for having you in our lives. We're blessed to know you and, and blessed to call you our friend and, um, keep working on yourself, uh, and keep working to, to clear those voices out. Um, and you know, I think one of the messages here is certainly for people, like Sherry, like you that, that have heard, um, these vile things said and they stick and that it's hard to clear them out. And it's hard to, to, like you said, take that intellectual part of your brain and trust it because you've got the gaslighting. That's just, it's ingrained in there. So I think part of the, the reason we wanted to have this conversation was for those people first, you know, to show empathy and so that they'll understand that they're not alone. But the other reason that I really wanted to have this conversation is for the people like me, for the drinkers to recognize that when we're saying those nasty things and then we apologize the next day and we think there took care of everything. I said, I was sorry. Um, we can move on. And I know that the apologies didn't necessarily come your way. I know that's not necessarily part of your story, but even if the apologies are coming, the words are ingrained in there, they're there. And you know, when we say these things in the heat of drunken passion, um, because of the pain we're in, it's going to take a long time from, for the recipient of those words to recover. And it's not just about an apology. It's about work and, um, patience and, and re replacing those awful words with better words. And then understanding that that's still not enough. And then it's going to take a really, really long time. So there's nothing in your story that makes me think, oh, you should have done something different or you should have been, you know, you, if only you had walked on eggshells in a better way, uh, you wouldn't have created the temper that you did. None of this is your fault. Absolutely. None of this is your fault. Um, the fact that you're surviving and that you're helping to, to, to make a better future for your kids um, I hope you can someday recognize how much credit you deserve for that. And what a, what just a wonderful, beautiful, um, smart, independent, 
hardworking person that you are and you are loved. I can, I don't like to talk too much about the echoes group and, you know, we, we want to keep confidentiality confidential, but you are beloved in that group. Oh my God. There's so many people who would rush to do anything they could for you. And so, um, I know this is hard. I know this was a hard conversation. Um, and, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking through it with us. How, how does it, and we can edit this part out if we need to, but how does it make you feel to have gone through this hour plus of talking about it and sharing it? How do you feel about it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's good to, to get out because I don't try to talk about it very much. Um, you know, even in my counseling and stuff, I hate kind of falling into this victim mentality. I'm trying so hard to pull myself out of this, you know, these things happen to me. I don't know. Um, I just, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Well, there's nothing to be sorry about. I, I just hope that you recognize uh, that a lot of people will resonate with exactly what you've talked about. And a lot of other people will say, that's the path I'm on and I don't want it to get that bad. And I've got to do something now and get out now before it goes. Cause I'm telling you that, uh, the progressive nature of alcoholism, it only goes one direction and it's just a matter of how long it's going to take to get to really bad. So I hope, I hope, I know some of our listeners will, will say, gosh, I'm not there, but I'm not there yet. And I don't want to get there. So I've got to make changes in my life. So it's been really valuable having you on. Thank you for, for sharing your story and thanks for being our friend. We love you, Hannah. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.